to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when the so-called nuclear experts get it wrong. Today is March 11, 2014, and it marks the third anniversary of the start of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster. We mark it with a nuclear hot seat special, Voices from Japan. We asked a wide range of people working in Japan and with the people of Fukushima for their perspective on what it's like over there, what they most want people in the world to know, and what information is not getting out. Most are in Japanese and will be heard through translation. All are sharing their truth about Fukushima. We start with Hiroake Koide, who is an assistant professor at Kyoto University's Research Reactor Institute. Marginalized in academia for over 40 years because of his criticism of nuclear power, Professor Koide is now a sought-out expert with rock star status and a huge following throughout Japan. I am Koide of Kyoto University Research Reactor Institute. I first stepped onto the nuclear stage as one who had hopes and dreams for nuclear energy. But I came to realize the serious dangers and environmental justice issues involved. For the past 44 years, I have continued to believe that nuclear power must be abolished. I had hoped that we could stop nuclear energy before there was a big accident. Unfortunately, my wish did not come true. And on March 11, 2011, the Fukushima Daiichi accident occurred. It has been three years since that day. It has been a very quick three years. Because of the radiation dispersed due to the accident, a large area of Japan, which is not a very big country to start with, has been contaminated. Even now, over 100,000 people who have their livelihood ripped away by the roots are left to drift aimlessly. They can't even begin to imagine how to carry on into the future. I think this is horrible, but it looks like the national government is simply going to abandon these people. Moreover, surrounding the 386 square mile evacuation zone where these people lived, there is an additional 5,400 square mile area that is heavily contaminated. If Japan were a country under the rule of law, this would be a restricted access area where people should not be allowed to live due to radiation. The several million people who live there have been cast aside and told, if you want to leave, go ahead and do it on your own. The government feigns ignorance. These millions of people, including children and infants, go about their daily lives in this area, being exposed to radiation as if there is no problem at all. 
Why have three years passed with no relief measures? I think this is very bizarre. Additionally, there has been no resolution at the accident site itself. Prime Minister Abe has stated that the situation is under control. But from my vantage point, the accident is not under control at all. And there has been no resolution. Due to the earthquake and tsunami of March 11th, 2011, the reactor cores of number one through three melted down. And we don't even know where they are. We can't even access those areas for inspection. The accident is still progressing after three years. They have been continuously cooling the reactors with water to prevent further meltdown. But the more they do that, the more contaminated water they now have to deal with. This cannot be prevented. My feelings about the dangers of nuclear power have been reinforced by the magnitude of the problems we now face. Even after three years, we can't do anything. The one bright spot is that more people in Japan than before have come to realize that the hopes we had for nuclear power were mistaken. But the number of people who have come to this realization hasn't increased that much. And the Abe government and Liberal Democratic Party have made things more difficult. Even so, we have the facts of the accident before us. And I hope this will give us motivation for a better future. The most important things we need to tackle are cleaning up the Fukushima Daiichi accident site and reducing children's exposure to radiation. That was Professor Hiroake Koide. Midori Kiyuchi is a popular television and movie actress. Since the Fukushima Daiichi accident, she has worked tirelessly as an anti-nuclear activist and has appeared at many rallies and symposiums. On March 15, she will be the MC of the Sayonara Nukes Rally in Tokyo which will feature such luminaries as Nobel Prize winner, author Kenzabura Oe. On March 11, 2011, I was on the seventh floor of a hospital when the earthquake hit. It was the biggest I have ever experienced. And it was a struggle to get home that night. When I think back to what I woke up to the next morning, I'm horrified. The world before and after the Fukushima nuclear accident is completely different. I'm angry with myself when I think back to how ignorant I was of the danger of nuclear power. The tsunami was a natural disaster, but the accident was man-made. We could have prevented it. I live in Tokyo, but since the accident, I have been very frightened. I have been gathering all kinds of information, but I feel a deep distrust in the TV and newspapers. In April 2011, I had the opportunity to hear Professor Hiroaki Koide speak, and I have been following him ever since. 
Professor Koide is a world-famous authority on nuclear power. At the beginning, he thought that nuclear energy offered us a bright future. But 40 years ago, he realized the dangers and has been its biggest critique ever since. He was completely ignored for 40 years. But since the accident, he has been in high demand for his expertise. I am a huge fan, and I listen to podcasts of his lectures every day, which sometimes annoys my family. I learned from him that humans should have never touched nuclear as an energy source. I lacked awareness, and Professor Koida says that Those who are ignorant are also responsible for the accident. If we had been listening to him 20 years ago and recognized the dangers, we would have raised our voices then and wouldn't be in this mess. In this way, I feel like I have some personal responsibility for the accident. Since then, I have tried to help out by going to demonstrations, signing petitions, donating money, emceeing anti-nuclear events, and writing op-ed pieces. The recent Tokyo gubernatorial election was a huge disappointment. I wonder when the Japanese people are going to wake up. The government itself is pro-nuclear, so it is not easy to change the tide. People around the world must think that the Japanese are idiots and be angry with us. I'm certainly angry. I think all we can do is keep building our strength every day and believe that we can abolish nuclear power. I have many doubts about the Japanese mass media. I have completely sworn off television because it brainwashes you. I have been trying to learn and think for myself these past three years. It's more interesting, and my life has become richer. I think people living on the U.S. West Coast must be very frightened of the contamination blowing across the ocean, and they must be angry too. I would like to encourage you to influence the Japanese government and people if you can. It's really hard to try to move the majority of people here in Japan, but we are doing what we can. On March 15, I will be emceeing another big rally. Nobel laureate Kenzaburo Owe will be speaking there. We have been regularly holding these Sayonara nuclear rallies and have been working on a 10 million people's petition to say goodbye to nuclear power plants. So far, we have 8,397,480 signatures. We only need about 1.6 million more. If we can get 10 million signatures, maybe people will take notice and it will be a turning point, like when all of the pieces get turned over in a game of Othello. Please don't give up on Japan. 
I hope the people of the world will stop making others sacrifice for their own comfort. This goes for not only nuclear, but war, which is happening everywhere. We have to see these things as our own problems. That was actress Midori Kiyuchi. Kosuke Ito is a former citizen of Minamisoma, Fukushima Prefecture. He became intensely involved in relief efforts immediately after the nuclear accident began. He and his high school friends started Frontier Minamisoma NPO to help citizens rebuild their lives. His group arranges field trips out- On March 11, 2011, I was in Tokyo, not in my hometown, Minamisoma. Even in Tokyo, the shaking was horrible, and it took a long time to return to the place I was staying overnight. I first found out about the tsunami on television. On the 12th, when I heard about the explosions at the Fukushima Daiichi, the first thing that went through my mind was that my hometown would disappear, and I would never be able to go home. I always knew that the nuclear power plant was near my home, but I never knew exactly how far away until they started talking about 20 and 30 kilometer zones. I found out that my home was 24 kilometer or 15 miles from Fukushima Daiichi. On the 12th, I still hadn't heard from my family, and I remember feeling very uneasy. Immediately after the disaster, A high school classmate contacted me, and we started an NPO. 2011 was completely chaotic. There was so much to do, but not enough people to help out. We had no idea of what the radiation levels were. We really did not even have time to think about it. We were so busy trying to help people. In 2012, things calmed down a bit. And we were able to think about our direction. We made a lot of connections during that first year and firmed up our ideas. In 2013, our keyword was independence. Many aid organizations were thinking about independence. By the third year, we thought we could go back to our jobs in Tokyo and leave the work to the locals. But it was still too soon. There weren't enough people helping out, and we started to sense differences in feelings about the whole idea of rehabilitation. What is rehabilitation or reconstruction? Especially in Fukushima, the need for decontamination started to be questioned. For example, people who had evacuated might not think it is necessary. People's opinions started to diverge. I think it's okay for feelings to vary. Grandmas and grandpas who want their grandkids to be proud of where they came from work really hard on decontamination. People who want the town to be a desirable, energetic place work hard on their businesses. People who want children to live in the town try to make sure kids have a place to play and to provide fun events. Or if someone wants to evacuate, their visions of rehabilitation could mean moving somewhere else and starting over. There are also many people who haven't been able to take that first step toward rehabilitation. 
We have to respect the people who want to stay and those who want to go and keep helping those that need assistance. There are still many living as evacuees and I hope we can make some progress together this year. Personally, I have moved to Hokkaido and it was tough at first. But I think I have figured out a way I can live here and still help people in Fukushima. Do you think that lumping everyone together, despite differing ideas about rehabilitation, is slowing reconstruction down? I also went back and forth to Ishinomaki, which was primarily affected by the tsunami. And I really got the impression that those people were working together and making progress toward the reconstruction. In Fukushima, everyone is heading in different directions. No one knows which path to take. If we don't recognize and honor people's different feelings about the situation, we will only have conflict and a division. Finally, last year, we were able to have some dialogue on this. What do you mean by conflict and division? To put it simply, I mean the conflict that arises when some people wish to remain in Fukushima and some wish to evacuate. Some who stay in Fukushima call those who leave traitors who have forgotten about their hometown. People who leave make it worse by criticizing those who stay behind for living in a dangerous situation. Or the decision whether to decontaminate or not can cause friction. Or, say people from Futaba, which is near Fukushima Daiichi, arguing about whether they will return to Fukushima Prefecture or not. Do you think these differences can be resolved? It's difficult. I think these disagreements will persist until Fukushima Daiichi is completely decommissioned and cleaned up, 40 to 60 years from now. Do you think the government is responsible for this divisiveness? Yes. I think they need to set some clear criteria for what is considered decontaminated. They are doing it haphazardly, but people see the work being done and get their hopes up that they might be able to return. You started working in your NPO initially by setting the issue of radiation aside and helping people because they needed help. How have your own feelings about radiation and reconstruction changed? At first, I was helping people because they were in need and something had to be done. I wasn't thinking about whether the radiation levels were high or low. I felt that people needed help and was willing to risk my life. In 2011, I wasn't fearful of radiation, but my situation changed. I got married and we had a baby, and now it's not just me. I have to think about my family. It would be very difficult for me to force my wife and a child to be exposed to radiation. There is a great deal of controversy about how much radiation is safe. And it's hard to know which expert to believe. I feel that even a small risk is too much and have decided to avoid it as much as possible. Kosuke Ito 
Because of concerns about radiation, he, his wife, and child now live in Sapporo. We'll have a link to his NPO, Frontier Minimisoma, up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under episode number 142. Kaori Suzuki lives in Iwake City, Fukushima Prefecture. Before March 11, 2011, she was a housewife. Since the accident, Kaori Suzuki has been the director of the Tadachine Citizens Radiation Monitoring Center. Her goal is to ease the minds of people who live in Fukushima by helping them reduce their exposure to radiation as much as possible. From the vantage point of our radiation measuring center, I would like to discuss the changes we have seen since 2011 in people's attitude and the situation. So what has changed? The accident has forced many adjustments in our lives. First, the very fact that we have to measure the radiation levels in food products is abnormal. We need to measure the radiation in the soil of our fields before we handle it, and that is also strange. We can't go in the ocean. We can't let our kids play in the parks. Anyway, our familiar, nurturing natural environment seems to have gone somewhere very, very far away, and that in itself is a huge change. I think this has caused a shift in people's feelings, too. We used to be able to get along in harmony, even with people that we might not always agree with. But because of this situation, we have to peer deep inside the hearts of people with whom we form relationships. And this has led to a divisive atmosphere. This is something that changed drastically right after the accident and hasn't improved in the three years since. I think even before the accident, there were adults that had the attitude that it's someone else's problem. That hasn't really changed. But what I worry about most since the accident is the children. I'm concerned about their physical and mental health in the next 30, 40, or 50 years that it is going to take to clean up the reactor site itself. That burden is going to be on our children's shoulders. It is really the adult's job to work quickly to find a resolution for this crisis and reduce our children's burden as much as possible. Unfortunately, there are many people that don't think it's their problem. I think that's why many things fail to get better. I am waiting for the day that adults all over the world come together and take responsibility to solve this problem. I'm not really very optimistic, though. I'm just a regular citizen. I didn't graduate from a fancy university or anything. The very fact that I am the director of the Radiation Monitoring Center is odd. It's not a position that someone like me would normally have. But these are not normal times. This is a battleground, and anything can happen during a war. A weak woman can handle a machine gun and shoot down a soldier. And a regular housewife like me, who is used to cooking three meals and taking a nap, is now measuring radiation. 
What is the thing that concerns you most now? I am most worried about the children. Not just my children, but all of the children. Society is really distorted right now. Rather than thinking about the children's health, we are thinking about jump-starting the economy. Kids' symptoms of early radiation exposure, such as nosebleeds, are being completely ignored. I'm worried about those health effects, but also the fact that they are growing up in a perverse society where adults do not place the needs of their children first. I worry about what kind of adults these kids will become in the future and the burdens that we are placing on them. Kaori Suzuki of the Tarachine Citizens Radiation Monitoring Center. Laura Inoue and her husband Gichi are the founders of Komoro Homestay Program for Mothers and Children. Hello, my name is Laura Inoue, and together with my husband and some other people, we run something called the Komoro Homestay Program. Komoro is a small town in the Nagano Mountains in Japan, and we were very lucky at the time of the Fukushima accident. We are shielded from the radiation by a large volcano, Mount Asuma. So we're very safe here. We have safe food. So we felt we had to do something to help those affected, and in particular to protect the health of the children. This is what we are about, protecting the health of the children, which also, of course, means helping and supporting their families. You may think that the accident is over. When Prime Minister Abe made his speech to try and get the 2020 nuclear games, he said, I can assure you that everything is under control. And I'm telling you, it is not. It is not technologically, and it is not as far as the victims are concerned. And we need to go on supporting them for at least 10 years. If you can imagine yourself as a mother with small children, it's hard work enough looking after them, shopping for food, going around the supermarket, seeing what's in the food with grouchy toddlers getting at you. Now, if you in addition have to look for radiation information, which is not there, you can imagine how exhausted you might be. It's not there because the information the government is putting out It's gobbledygook. It's no use. It's there because they feel they ought to put it out. They have no idea of making it useful to anyone. So what we try to do is to try and decipher the figures a bit. But even so, it's very difficult. So what we're doing at the moment, as well as providing a network, a network, a community to tell them they're not isolated, they're not forgotten. We are also sending fresh, safe vegetables up to those who could not leave. Some of them have left, some of them have come here, of the 32 families we've helped. But there are people who couldn't. They have jobs, they have mortgages. So please don't forget us. If there's anything you can do to help, thank you. That was Laura Inouye of Comoro Homestay Program for Mothers and Children. You can contact her at laurajane713 at gmail.com and we'll also list contact information for the program on our website. A gentle reminder 
That nuclear hot seat is funded by your donations. If you wish to help support this weekly international program on all things anti-nuclear, go to nuclearhotseat.com, scroll down on the home page, and hit the big red donate button. Or contact any of the many worthwhile organizations represented by the interviewees on today's Nuclear Hot Seat and make a donation to them. We are all in need of your financial assistance, and thank you in advance for any help you may be able to provide. Now back to the Nuclear Hot Seat Fukushima Anniversary Special, Voices from Japan. Seiji Mizuno is a businessman and former member of the Japanese Diet Upper House. He was president of Seibu Department Stores and has served on the boards of many leading corporations. As someone who has had a top role in charting Japan's economic success, he has deep concerns about reliance on nuclear power in the wake of the Fukushima Daiichi accident. Three years has passed since the Fukushima Daiichi accident, and there has been very little progress in cleanup and recovery. In particular, the continuous production of 400 tons of contaminated water each day and the increasing incidence of leakage are worrisome. The biggest problem is the apparent melt-through of reactor cores 1 and 2, which is probably contaminating the groundwater. So not only do we have more and more contaminated water from cooling, we also have groundwater contamination. On top of that, we have to think about what we are going to do with all of this contaminated water. Last year in September, Japan was awarded the 2020 Olympics by the IOC. I have serious objections to the content of Prime Minister Abe's speech in front of the Olympic Committee. Abe said that he will guarantee safety, that the situation is under control, and that the contamination was confined to the one-tenth of a square mile area of the harbor. He even said that the water off of Fukushima is well within the safe drinking water guidelines of the World Health Organization at one five hundredth of the limit. He said that there is no threat to health now, or will there ever be. It is obvious that he is totally wrong. The idea that the contaminated water is somehow blocked in a harbor is especially absurd. It is not following a route through the harbor. It is leaking directly into the ocean. There is evidence of more than 40 known hotspot areas where extremely contaminated water is flowing directly into the ocean. Even though we still face huge problems with no prospect for a solution, Abe based his bid for the Olympics on the idea that the situation is under control. Furthermore, if there is another big earthquake, there is a risk that things will deteriorate even further. They are trying hard to remove the spent fuel from the cooling pool in Reactor 4, but there is no guarantee that this project will even be done in time. There is also the threat that the Hamaoka nuclear power plant 
south of Tokyo in Shizuoka Prefecture, will be the cause of another accident. It is known as the most dangerous in Japan because it is located in an area where the Nankai Trop mega earthquake is expected to occur. I cannot understand why the Abe government is trying to restart the Hamaoka plan in these terrible circumstances. This is not only Japan's problem. If another accident happens, it will affect America and all of the other nations in the world. Even now, contamination from Fukushima is being carried across the Pacific and has been detected at a high level on the west coast of the U.S. There is no doubt that the radiation is affecting fish that migrates these waters. In light of the fact that Fukushima is not anywhere near being under control, I cannot forgive Japan for saying it is safe and consenting to holding the Olympics. I hope that people all over the world will share my concern about the state of Japan's nuclear reactors and raise their voices together. Seichi Mizuno will post a link to his website up on our website. Ruiko Muto is from Maharu Town, Fukushima Prefecture. She ran a cafe in Tamura City, Fukushima, but was forced to close her shop. Since then, she has been a leader of a large group of Fukushima residents who have filed a criminal complaint against TEPCO and the Japanese government. The case has still not been resolved. 事故を過小評価することそして基準値を変えること。The government and TEPCO have been concealing facts and playing down the effects of the Fukushima Daiichi accident and changing standards at will. Because of that, we have been exposed to radiation and forced to live in a difficult situation. Three years have passed and the suffering caused by the accident has changed form and increased. In December 2012, then Prime Minister Noda made a recovery declaration. The nation and Fukushima Prefecture's policy was to decontaminate, repatriate the evacuees, and work toward restoration. A huge decontamination effort began, but There are many areas that have not reached the one millisievert annual dosage standard. Despite this, repatriation is being pushed forward. Recently, Miyakoji town in Tamura district was the first area to have the evacuation order lifted. There are many places in Miyakoji where the radiation levels are high. In areas where the levels are more than one millisievert, the government is distributing radiation monitors and telling residents to manage on their own. The school had moved their operations outside the prefecture, but they will now have to return to Miyakoji. Some students who are still living in the areas they evacuated 
we have to travel by bus up to 40 minutes to go to school, which is closer to Fukushima Daiichi than where they are living. Immediately after the accident, food products from outside the prefecture were used in school lunches. But since the second year, most of the products are from inside Fukushima. There are some people who suggest that we should use the school lunch program to increase consumption of Fukushima products and wipe away harmful rumors about radiation. There are some people who suggest that we should use the school lunch program to increase consumption of Fukushima products and wipe away harmful rumors about radiation. Farmers are torn between continuing their livelihoods and their desire to provide safe food products. This contradiction is the burden placed on the dignity of the farmers. Furthermore, plastic bags of decontamination soil and debris cover the rice paddies and line the rows in piles three to four deep as far as the eye can see. And the plastic bags will only last for three to five years. The bags are next to houses and buried under school playgrounds. Amid this, people go about their daily lives. Debris that is under 8,000 back rows per kilogram is incinerated in existing facilities. Debris that is over 8,000 back rows per kilogram will be burned in special incinerators being built by the Environment Ministry all around Fukushima Prefecture. They have not fully informed the resident about these plans. People are divided between those who want to return home and those who still feel uneasy about the situation. If they go back, they don't know whether they will be able to farm and infrastructure like shops and hospitals are still not in place. Elderly people who have given up are still living in temporary housing despite having their compensation cut. They do not have enough to eat. And during the new year, there was an emergency SOS project to help them. People who are living in temporary housing are becoming depressed. The atmosphere is becoming antagonistic. Also, Government ministries and groups have been promoting various radiation safety and risk communication campaigns that are aimed at children and young people. This situation in Fukushima is still very severe. What do you think is the most serious problem? Children being detained in areas where the radiation levels are high. Also, In the criminal complaint we filed against the Japanese government and TEPCO, the trouble is that there are many plaintiffs, but no specific person that is the perpetrator. When over 14,000 of us initially filed, the case was dismissed. Even though the disaster was man-made, there is no one to take responsibility. I think this is really strange. Furthermore, they're talking about restarting other reactors and pushing nuclear exports, 
when no one has taken the blame for the accident. And yet, victims haven't received enough assistance. Do you have anything to say about the prosecutors in the case? Well, the forensic criminal investigation that we had asked for was not granted. Another problem was the change of venue. We filed in Fukushima, but the trial was moved to the Tokyo District's prosecutor's office. In Japan, you can request that the prosecutor's decision be reviewed by the jury-like panel. We wanted that to happen in Fukushima, but the review took place in Tokyo too. I think that not doing this in Fukushima, where there are a large number of plaintiffs, was intentional. And listening to the prosecutor's reasoning made me feel like they are lawyers retained by TEPCO. So you're saying that the system allows a change of venue without reason? It's not common, but it is allowed. Was a reason given? We are told that the defendants were in Tokyo and that the Fukushima District Prosecutor's Office sent the case to the Tokyo District Office. I don't understand either of these reasons. Yeah, it is hard to understand, isn't it? Is there anything else that you are involved in, aside from the trial? I'm the lead plaintiff, so that's what I'm mostly doing. But I'm also involved in the collective evacuation trial effort. I'm also helping with efforts to get opportunities for educational exchange programs outside of Fukushima for Children. And I travel all over Japan for speaking engagements to talk about Fukushima. Do you have a message for our listeners? Yes. The accident occurred in Fukushima, but this kind of catastrophe could happen anywhere. Therefore, I wish everyone would see Fukushima as their problem, too. Ruiko Muto. We'll have links up for information on the criminal complaint against TEPCO and the Japanese government on our website. Next, we hear from Setsuko Kita, who was previously interviewed for Nuclear Hot Seat on program number 127 on November 25th of 2013. Setsuko Kita's home is in Tomika Town, in the evacuation zone, just five miles from Fukushima Daiichi. She evacuated to Mito City in Ibaraki Prefecture after the accident. Since then, she has traveled throughout Japan and abroad to speak about the dangers of nuclear power. In 2013, she ran as a Green Party candidate for the Japanese Diet Upper House on an anti nuclear platform, demanding relief measures for the evacuees. It is almost the third anniversary of March 11. At the beginning, right after the meltdown, nuclear refugees had hope that the nation would not forget about us. We received help from many people and aid from the government. And because of this, we were able to cope. We were glad to be helped and got our hopes up. 
But three years have passed, and the people living in temporary housing are falling farther and farther into poverty. Since Fukushima Daiichi exploded, they have been unable to return home yet. Also, there has been little progress in cleaning up even the tsunami damage in the evacuation zone. It seems like the evacuees have been forgotten about. This is not what we expected at the beginning. What about people living in the cities? Right after the disaster, they witnessed a horrible scene of destruction and probably were very shocked. I think they were very concerned. But it seems like each time March 11th comes around, their awareness fades more and more. Recently, during the Tokyo gubernatorial election, two former prime ministers said that nuclear power is a mistake, even though they did not speak out against it while they were in office. They seem to seriously consider many problems with the promotion of nuclear power, such as restarting reactors. the lack of permanent storage for nuclear waste, and the potential of another Fukushima being caused by aging reactors. Even though these former prime ministers promoted these ideas, citizens gave other issues priority over Fukushima. For instance, the elderly were worried about health care costs and convalescent homes, and the young women who want to work are concerned about the lack of child care facilities. There may be some people who still think about Fukushima, but this election showed that they are more worried about their own situations and social welfare issues that affect them directly. I can't say I blame them. Unfortunately, that's why the anti-nuclear candidates were unsuccessful. It seems like Japanese people can't see any further than the problems right in front of their own eyes. Even though we had such a severe nuclear accident, the government promotes Japan as a beautiful country with a vigorous economy. But Japan really isn't as affluent as everyone thinks it is. Japan is really a poor country. People's spirits are not really impoverished, but the government is morally bankrupt, and that's why people are forced to put their own immediate needs first. Setsuko Kita Links to her previous interview on Nuclear Hot Seat and a separate program with an eyewitness report on a recent trip she took back to her home in the evacuation zone will be posted on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com, on the blog page under this episode, number 142. Finally, Taro Yamamoto is an actor and serves as a member of the Japanese Diet Upper House. He sees the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear accident as an opportunity to abolish nuclear power and works to help prevent residents from suffering further radiation exposure. In the 2013 election, Yamamoto ran on an anti-nuclear, anti-TPP, anti-poverty platform and received over 660,000 votes. I am Taro Yamamoto, a member of the Upper House of the Japanese Diet. 
Three years have passed since the natural disaster and nuclear meltdowns of March 11, 2011. How have Japanese people and the government changed since then? Well, the Japanese government and the Japanese politics have hardly changed at all. Actually, they've gotten more cunning about lying and covering things up. Regrettably, there is still huge political support behind the continued reliance on nuclear power in the Japanese diet. It's unfortunate, but despite growing public opinion against it, the powers that be in the parliament keep pushing nuclear energy. On one hand, it's really hard to reflect the public will during elections because the issues get obscured. There are so many issues aside from nuclear, such as the economy and the social welfare. All of these problems get jumbled together, and things that can impact human life, like restarting nuclear reactors and exposure to radiation, get lost in the shuffle. I think this is true all over the world. Industry dominates politics. Globalization and multinationals control the political system of any given country. So it's only natural that we can't abolish nuclear energy. It's not just the utilities that are involved in nuclear. Electronics companies, Mitsubishi, Toshiba, and Hitachi, insurance companies, megabanks, construction companies, steel makers, and so on. Causing those companies to suffer losses is not very appetizing for politicians. So we end up weighing life against money, politics, and the political parties. That's why idiotic ideas like restarting nuclear plants are being considered here in Japan. It really boils down to exposure to radiation. Why is nuclear dangerous? because it exposes people to radiation when there is an accident. But here in Japan, you can talk about nuclear energy, but the subject of radiation is taboo. You almost never hear the subject discussed on TV or the mass media. In various places, the true situation about radiation exposure is being hidden. If Japanese people can't face up to this problem, then this country will be ruined. It will take the rest of the world down with it. What should we do? Japanese people and people all over the world need to recognize this problem. And each person needs to do what he or she can to spread the word. I think this opportunity for me to have an interview on nuclear hot seat is an example of what we can do. We have to come together in this struggle. I think it is wrong that people's lives are being sacrificed because of money and the company profits. It's like the Occupy Wall Street movement, but 1% is too much. It's more like 99.99% of the people are being sacrificed to the... That was Taro Yamamoto, actor and member of the Japanese Diet Upper House. We'll have a link to an article about him up on our website. Nuclear Hot Seat conducted many more interviews than could fit on this one program. As a result, in the coming weeks, we will be running Voices from Japan as a regular feature. 
We'll also be presenting longer interviews with many of the individuals highlighted in this program, and we will post them in both English and Japanese. To make certain you have access to what these people have to say, you can subscribe to Nuclear Hot Seat in two ways on iTunes under Podcasts or on YouTube, where we are listed as Nuclear Hot Seat Videos. And of course, you can always find us on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, the blog page. Here's today's final thought. Producing this Fukushima anniversary special has been a deeply emotional experience for me. What stands out is a phrase I learned back in November from Setsuko Kida Gosai Yakiru. I am beyond angry. For years after my experience at Three Mile Island, I had no language to express what that experience did to me. Only since the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster began have I found the right words and people such as yourselves willing to hear them. I truly am beyond anger at what the nuclear military industrial complex has done to destroy our futures and our planet, at the lies of government officials in Japan and the U.S. and all the nuclear countries, at the manipulation of people to get us to accept this unacceptable technology. And I weep for the pain inflicted on the children, mothers, and fathers of Fukushima and the rest of the world that will suffer as a result of this horrific ongoing nuclear disaster. Fukushima will be with all of us forever. What we do with it and because of it is in our hands. Each of us. Let's take the unlimited, sustainable, endlessly renewable energy of our anger over what has been done to us and turn it into action while we still can. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, March 11, 2014. Many people, many talents came together to help create this week's Nuclear Hot Seat special. My thanks to all of the interviewees for their courage and their ongoing work. The bulk of the work organizing this show was handled by Yuji Kaneko, Beverly Finlay Kaneko, and Kei Ogawa of Families for Safe Energy. Special mention to Setsuko Kita for helping organize the interviews in Japan. My gratitude to the wonderful voiceover actors who contributed their talents. Chihiro Kawamura, Hiro Matsunaga, Kayo Yoshida, Kei Ogawa, Sachiko Kei, Toshiji Takashima, Yoshi Ando, and Yutaka Takeuchi. The music at the top of the program came from Zero Nomi Kuma, and we will post a link to their website at nuclearhotseat.com on the blog page. Audio engineering assistance came from Craig Parker Adams of Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood, California. Scott Port's line of Three Mile Island Alert consulted on our YouTube video. My deepest gratitude goes to Beverly Findlay Kaneko, who co produced 
and also provided the translations for this week's Nuclear Hot Seat Fukushima Anniversary Special, Voices from Japan. Nuclear Hot Seat is syndicated by UCY-TV. We're going out this week on a song based on Nothing For You by B.O.B. featuring Bruno Mars. This is called No Nukes, Baby, and it is performed by Natsu No Color, a Japanese-based singer who performs regularly at all the Japanese anti-nuclear rallies. And, of course, we will link to her. Remember to friend us on Facebook and check out our archives on iTunes or on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com. Nuclear Hot Seat is the international activist voice on nuclear issues. So if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at NuclearHotSeat.com. We are copyright 2014, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed. You may reuse this material for non-profit purposes, as long as proper attribution and website are included. Commercial media may contact me directly by sending an email. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we have all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now don't go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Beautiful energy all over the fur And no nuclear planes have disappeared Imagine there is no nukes, baby Imagine no nukes, baby Beautiful energy, sleep a bright future And someday we'll make a beautiful
That's right, we can live with solar Use more geothermal energy So we can create alternative energy Go on, another beautiful energy All over the world 